recorded live, Union Inn, Washington, D.C., 1112, 3rd Street, Northeast. We are Steps to Nomagayudet Metro. Nice, brisk walk to Union Station. And a leisurely jaw to the Capitol, Capitol Hill. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddy, host extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Guestbook Podcast. Guestbook Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing out there? We got a special guest. A Toastmasters alum here. So you all are about to get some tips on how to do when you're speaking in front of people. Mr. Mark Stanton, how you doing? I'm doing good, but it's going to cost you. <laughs> I'm charged by the hour. Hey, I'll blame you, man. What are we listening to? This is OK Go. This is uh, one of my favorite bands. Um, saw these guys live in Oakland, where I live currently. Uh, really great band. Like, phenomenal musicians. Lots of energy in their music. A lot of musicality to it, uh, but it just—it's fun. It's just fun music. This is—it's um, not through. He's talking about—he's uh, talking to his lady that we're not through yet. We're not done. We're not done. I know you're a little bit tired. I'm a little bit tired too. We're not done. Yeah, hopefully yeah. he's not stalking her. No, no, no. This is—they're—they're they're together. They're it's, still this, together. This is, okay. <laughs> this is—this is not postcoital. It's not precoital. It is right in the middle. He's uh, saying we're not through. Yeah, that's—that's that's when you get to the real meat of it, right there. Literally. <laughs> right now you're living in the Bay Area. That's right. But you are originally from New York. I am. I'm from Syracuse, where nobody is excited to go. Unless you're going to SU. You're going to the to Syracuse University, you're excited about it. You guys have a good uh fall foliage though, right? It's beautiful up there. We get the we have the seasons. Yeah. In California we don't have seasons and when people go uh go west they're like I love California but I miss the seasons. I'm like, man, I don't I don't miss shoveling a single driveway. <laughs> Or raking a single lawn of leaves. I'm doing good with that. How far is Syracuse from Buffalo? It's two hours. Okay. Yeah, two hours east of Buffalo. So most people who are from Syracuse, mm-hmm. who's their football team? The Giants or Buffalo? Either. Either. I, growing up, I, and this is back when I really cared about football, I, I was a big Giants fan. Okay. And that's just because my dad was a Giants fan. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's kind of split. But people are typically not all that happy with either option. <laughs> yeah, unless they're beating uh, Tom Brady. Everybody's happy when, when that's happening. You know what? Even there's people in Boston that are happy about that. <laughs> you have an interesting sort of path in getting to becoming the public speaking master coach that you are. Yeah, uh, and it starts from having. A background in New York, mm-hmm. in the arts. Yeah, the uh, the short of it is, I I was in singing my whole life, growing up in choirs forever, and eventually got into music theater, which got me into acting school in, in Manhattan, and I was doing that for a while, and that was that was the path I wanted to be an actor more than anything else, but. I wanted to be an actor until I really started acting in the field and was like, wow, this industry is terrible. Uh, I need to get the hell out of here. This is this is a miserable living. Um, not the best way to pay your bills. I 
don't recommend it unless there's nothing else you can possibly imagine doing. Don't do acting. Mm-hmm. If, if there's anything else you... My, in my acting school, they said, if there's anything else you can fall back on, you will fall back on it. Acting is too hard a profession for people to stay in if they've got a comfortable option somewhere else. So I ended up falling back on my other options, which I have m- way more than one passion. So I love psychology. went back to school for psychology in California. That was 11 years ago. I've been out there 11 years now. On the West Coast. Yeah. So you're a West Coast guy yeah, now. Exactly. And so from the psychology thing, I was almost a therapist. I was working towards my hours. And then somebody just kind of sprung it on me like, hey, man, you want to teach some public speaking workshops? I was like, damn, that'd be easy. With all my background, That would that's like so in my skill set. That's ridiculous. So I tried it out and fell in love with it. And uh, I never knew we could make a living doing it. And I've been doing it ever since. It's been five years and I'm so happy I'm doing it. People spend their careers, they spend like all this time in college and grad school and all this time like, you know, young in their career, building skills in their their field. But one skill they're not building is how to present, how to present that information, how to present that expertise in a way that compels people, that inspires them, that moves them to action. So when they get up to give a presentation, they're not only nervous as hell, but they don't know what the message is. They flounder. They they give a they give visuals that don't really help, and the entire experience is miserable for everybody. People just aren't having a good time with it. Um, boring as hell to watch. So trying to get them to figure out how to write a good narrative that actually compels people. That's actually exciting to listen to, and they're also learning and being persuaded to do something awesome. So what are some common mistakes people make? there's so many things first and foremost they don't start with a clear message people usually begin with a topic they, they oh I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Q3 uh, results right Q3 what are our numbers in Q3 that, that's what it's gonna be it's a topic it's not usually not the persuasion you're looking for them to have so you gotta start with an action the, the what and the why we need to do this so that this can happen that's the that right there is the core of the presentation once you have that, you can build something brilliant around it. But if you start off with the topic is marketing, there's like a thousand ways you can go and it, you're going to talk about so many things that the message is going to be diluted and people are scratching their head and they're lost in their phone because they're bored. And is the what and the why with relation to the person speaking or is it to the audience that they're speaking to? The what and the why is what you want them to do and why they should do it. Um, you see, I have to, uh, and here's another big mistake people make is people will deliver the information that they think is important for the reasons they think are important. Mm. But they're forgetting this is all about the audience. Yeah. It's all about everything we do is about them. It's not about us, it's about them. And if we can get them to focus on what does the audience care about, not what I care about, what do they care about? What do they want? What are they worried about? And if we can speak to those things, then their ears are going to perk. They're going to be leaning in versus tuning out. Now, uh, in our conversation before, you talked about uh, PowerPoint. Yeah. And how PowerPoint is often uh, misleading or the wrong way that people go with respect to their presentations. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted you to elaborate on that because I thought it was quite interesting. It's funny. So we have uh, all the facilitators that I work with. We all have a, the same deck that we work from when we teach these workshops. 
we show a number of examples of the right way to do it and then the terrible way to do it. And the t- when we show the terrible way of doing it, everybody, no matter what industry, no matter what company, no matter where in the world we are, people always laugh and they say, oh my God, you took that from our decks, didn't you? And we're like, no, but everybody does it the same way. No matter where you go, it's terrible. They throw so many ideas onto one slide. They'll pack text upon text, bullet after bullet after sentence after sentence. The brain sees that and it tunes out. The brain is wired for simplicity. We want simplicity. People don't know how to do that. They, uh, A big part of the reason is they feel confined with how many slides they should be using. Oh, our boss doesn't want us to use more intense slides. The slide count doesn't matter, and there's a number of ways that we prove that. But if you're giving them one idea per slide, which is so simple, and then reduce all of that down to its core, 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 just a few words, one simple image, one simple chart. If you can do that and show the to them while having a conversation about it, they don't even notice the slide is there. They see it, they ingest it effortlessly. And the brain doesn't isn't left overwhelmed. It's not overburdened. They can be with you in the narrative that you're talking about. Versus something that's very content heavy, you have to spend so much of your brain power in order to ingest that message, your brain will fatigue really early on. So we wonder why we can't be effective when we're presenting. It's, it's a lot of the same things where people do all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when someone's starting a presentation, they're putting one together, mm-hmm. should they start with PowerPoint? Definitely not. <laughs> no. The uh, the analogy I usually use is, uh, imagine if J.K. Rowling, uh, she wrote the Harry Potter series. Imagine if she was toiling away uh, at the very beginnings, working in the library, creating the first Harry Potter book, and she finds a, no- a, a novel artist, somebody who can you know make the illustrations for a novel. She goes up to this artist and says, hey, you do really great work. I would love you to do the illustrations for my book artist would be like, yeah, sure, that's great. Send me the book and I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some stuff. And J.K. Rowling said, oh, no, no, I haven't written the book yet. Just just make the pictures for it and then I'll write the book. Like, that, that's, that's mad. No it makes no sense. It's madness. But that's what people do in the business world. They start by creating visuals, but for what? You don't even know what the message is yet by starting in PowerPoint. What happens is you'll spend an hour or more crafting this nice looking PowerPoint slide and you continue toiling and toiling and toiling and then later on you realize, you know what? That first slide, I didn't even need that stupid thing. You just wasted so much time. But now you're attached to it so you have to put it in there, Mm -hmm. right? And it just dilutes you. It just dilutes your message and yeah, waters it down. So the way in which they should do it is how? Craft your narrative first and when I say that, there's a whole system we teach on how to do that. Craft the narrative first Know exactly where you're going on paper. Not a script, but know what the narrative is. Once you have the narrative down, you feel confident with that. Then you start saying, what do I want to visualize? I want to visualize this, 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 and this. There's five slides right there. And then you go about creating the slides for each. And what could be, each of one of those will be simple. The visuals will be simple so long as you're only giving one idea per slide. Okay. Yeah. What do you say to people that get nervous in front of crowd? That's a great question. And actually, something I haven't even told you yet is my specialty is actually fear of public speaking. Okay. Because I have a psychology background. I almost became a therapist for a while. It's a big question, and there's lots of answers to it. But the one tip, if I'm going to give you one tip, I'm going to go back to something I said a little bit earlier, Okay. which is 
Have you ever done any public speaking? Time, time. Okay. I guess you could say I mean, this is public speaking. Th- this is, but it's it feels it's not, a bit different, right? It's pseudo public speaking. It's pseudo. Imagine you had a, a, an audience of a hundred people in front of you. Mm-hmm. A little bit different. Okay. Most of the time, when people get up in front of a group of people, whether that's webcam, remote, or in person, what do you think some of the things people are worrying about? Is the sp- my the fly speaker open? Yeah, right. Is my fly open? What else? Is there a booger in my nose? Sure, right? Things that are like, am I going to look stupid? Yeah. Am I going to be funny? Are they going to think I'm smart? Uh, am I going to do something embarrassing? Is my boss going to think I'm an idiot? We have all these negative things, and all of those worries are about who? Me. Me, right? Ourselves, when we speak. When we are in that mind frame of us thinking, this is uh, the psychology field calls this inward directed attention. When we're focusing on ourselves, like, oh my God, my hand is shaking. My hand is shaking. They probably see that. They think I'm nervous. They don't think I'm credible. Like, it's this spiral that happens yeah. in our minds, a negative feedback loop directing the attention inward, and it creates chaos. If we can learn to, first of all, notice that that's even happening, to be like, holy crap, my attention is inward, then we can begin building the skill of directing it back outward getting it back on the people who matter actually looking at the audience connecting with them and thinking what do they want what are they what are they hungry for and being in service of the idea you're trying to deliver them it almost be like it'd be like a waiter in a restaurant being super nervous about carrying a plate to a client to a customer they're not thinking about that. They're just thinking about del- delivering something delicious to the people in front of them. That, 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 that's what they came for. They're going to get something delicious. It's the same thing with anybody who's presenting. You're just somebody who has a delicious idea and you're trying to deliver that to them so that they can enjoy it. It can enrich their lives. It's not for me. I'm not up there for me. I'm up there for them. So we want to keep that outward directed attention, keep our attention on them. And in doing so, that negative feedback loop in the brain shuts off. Would you say this is a, a version of analysis paralysis? I'm thinking about like a shooting a foul shot. If you were thinking about the mechanics of a foul shot every time you take it, right, it's going to be significantly harder for you to make foul shots consistently. It, it, you're close, not exactly. Okay, it's that analogy still applies for delivery skills, and delivery skills is something I absolutely work with people on, which is you know dealing with filler words. What do I do with my hands? How do I walk around the space? What do I do with my pacing, my pausing, all of that stuff? Delivery skills are really important. And in that case, that analysis paralysis can shut people down, especially if they're new to delivery coaching. They're focused on that one weird habit that they have. And, oh, man, I said, um, again, and it throws them off. No, no, no. Let all that go. Just do it as you do, but practice those skills. In this case, it's so to your analogy it's not focusing on the mechanics of the shot it's focusing on what if i don't what if i miss mm. what if we lose and it's my fault it's how is this impacting me my status my connection with the world when we get lost into that fantasy land it's a black hole baby and it sucks you in and it's hard to get out of it people who are confident public speakers they, they're not thinking about that shit. and if it comes up if it happens in their head, they instantly delete it. They instantly, thank you, no thank you. And they come back to being present. And that's what it's all about. It's just being present with the people you're speaking to. So 
easier said than done. And there are skills that you can learn there to get better at that. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fundamental shift that people need to make to become more confident. This is great, man. Yeah. You ready for the seven questions? Bring it on. What's it called, y'all? It's the questions. It's the questions, boy. It's the questions. It's the questions. Yeah, the questions. Question number one. Yeah. Book to add to the library. Okay. I'm going to give you something totally off the wall. Totally off the wall. It's a book called Seth Speaks. I don't even read stuff like this anymore, really. But man, in my more formative years, when I was like 20, 21... I got this book and it absolutely blew my mind apart. It's so when I said it's out there, let me tell you how out there it is. It's written by a woman named Jane Roberts who was channeling an entity named Seth. She sort of went into like this altered state of consciousness and she would speak for this entity named Seth. Now, whether or not that's actually what was happening, who the hell knows? But the interactions that and she did this over decades, channeled this guy. Um, and she did it very intentionally with her husband. And after a while, the things that this character Seth was saying were so profound, they started writing it down and even got to a point where Seth was like, you know what? I want to write a book. And I'm going to narrate this book. First time is going to be the final copy. Let's do it. And it took, you know, a couple of months to get through all the material. Crazy shit, right? Anyone would be skeptical to read it. But when I read it, what he talked about, about the nature of consciousness, the nature what of... What Seth talked about. Yeah, what Seth talked about was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, the explanations of the universe, the, expo- the explanations of life and consciousness and life after death and all these things uh, really blew me away. And I, I, to be honest, I don't know that I still subscribe to all the things he said, but a lot of it made a lot of sense. It was very unifying and so much so that it's one of the few times in my life where I've read a book and at the end of reading a book, the way I experienced the world had completely shifted. Like looking at, I distinctly remember after reading one really impactful chapter, I remember sitting outside like on a bench looking at a tree and the experience of the tree was visceral. It Like I could feel the life teeming in it. I could feel the energy abundant all around me and it... I don't know. It, it's hard. It's 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 kind of hard to just throw out there. And I realize how insane I, I sound even bringing all this up. But it is truly astounding talking about what consciousness is, what the purpose of life is, um, all of that stuff. Did Jane herself speak in this book as a narrator? No, she did not. Actually, it was um, her husband, Robert, who would put all the notes between the sessions talking about what the experience was like right before they got into the session what was Jane doing so more narration from him and then the words that she spoke uh, through uh, Seth spoke through her so crazy 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 stuff. that's like a hypnotism type of deal kind of and there's been a lot of people out there who have claimed to like speak for other entities and stuff like that and honestly I don't even know how much it's even true I, you know I, I, I don't know but what I do know is reading what he said Seth said about the nature of the universe it clicked in so many levels for me that uh, it just brought a picture that was fragmented and made it whole yeah, yeah it was so it was really really astounding in that way interesting yeah especially we're uh, expecting something like no, that no the subtitle of this book is The Eternal Validity of the Soul that's right it's uh, brilliant he wrote a number of other ones after that 
Um, one specifically on the nature of consciousness and dreams and, and sleep. Um, and there's even some videos online uh, from her back in like this, the 80s um, channeling Seth. Her whole body just shifts. Oh, so and, they recorded her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The audio and just a few little bit of video because back then they didn't have much yeah. cameras. Um, but you, there are some videos of her going into it. And the way she uses her body complete com- becomes completely different. Did her uh, voice, the voice change? Voice changes. Um, it's almost as if somebody stepped into the suit of her body and just was using it. You know, it's uh, it's very different. Yeah. Okay. It's something out there worth checking out. Hey, if you're and, into it, and there are no wrong answers here. <laughs> Question number two: Sorry, Podcast I have 100% subscribe. So far. Podcast. Conan O'Brien's podcast. It's called uh, Conan Needs a Friend, right? Conan Needs a Friend. There's a lot of comedy podcasts out there, and some of them are funny, and more of them, a lot of them just feel like, including including Joe Rogan, he's not even that funny. He's just, you get to experience the real and sometimes darker side to the comedians, which can be cool, but honestly, man, with all the news and all the politics and all the shit that I've been following over the last year and two, I'm so burnt out. Having a genuinely funny podcast is exactly what the doctor ordered. So, yeah, Conan O'Brien's is the way to go. Number three, something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it. Okay, I just figured this one out right before we started. Okay. Emotional intelligence. Interesting. Here's what I mean by that. Right brain and left brain working together? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you you could say it like that, but it's... uh, When... Years ago, when I was in grad school to become a therapist, one of the things they always encouraged the you know, students to do is, hey, you're going to be a therapist. You should probably also get some therapy to see what it's like from the patient side. And also to work with some of the stuff that might come up for you in your sessions with other clients. So I was in therapy. And yes, partly because of that, also because I fucking needed it. And I found a guy and he was through a school and he was a little bit cheaper than the other, so it was good. Um, and it was somatic psychotherapy somatic is body so somatic psychotherapy so it's the body mind connection and uh, they talk a lot about like what you're feeling in your body right now what's happening in my stomach when i feel that emotion blah 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 blah. And at the time i was like that's kind of dumb and i went into the first session with this guy I was like yeah i want to do this therapy thing but look I, the whole somatic thing i'm not into it man let's just leave that alone like what am i feeling in my chest right now and my throat feels this way like i was like that's kind of stupid and he's like okay all right all right you'd always like sprinkle it in just a little bit into the sessions and before I knew it I was blown away at how impactful knowing what is happening in my body as a result of the emotions or the conflicts or the struggles that I'm dealing with how much insight I could get from that I completely wrote it off I was a massive blind spot for me I see you have blind spot written right on the sign there. It's exactly yeah. what it was. It was a blind spot to me. I poo-pooed it. And once I started doing it, once I started feeling and experiencing it, and the insights that I got from it, holy shit, it changed everything for me. For me, as a kid, all the way up into my adulthood, I was very cerebral. I would try to fix all of my problems by thinking through the problem. If I can just think hard enough, if I can just find solutions and work hard enough to find a solution. And... Looking back, that just caused me more misery, more just feeling bad about myself because I didn't have all the answers. Once I stopped all that, dropped out of my head and into my body and said, you know what? 
I don't know what's true here right now. But what I do know is that I feel hopeless. And when I could drop into that, oh, yeah, what were you going to say? Is that a version of instinct? No. No. Um, no, it's not. I would say that this is a skill that we're born with. We unlearn. Society helps us unlearn this. Mm. Right? Kids know exactly what they're feeling. They know and they show it. And as adults, as we learn to become like adolescents and adults, we learn to put a lockdown on that. And we're never taught to, hey, when I'm feeling angry, you know, notice I said, there's a couple words I said there. When I'm feeling angry, there's a word in there that's really crucial. Feeling. Yeah. And where does one feel? In your brain? You don't feel in your brain. You feel in your body. That's true. Right? That's true. So how do you know you're feeling angry? How, so for you, how do you know when you're feeling angry? A bodily reaction that I'll have, even if one who's looking at me doesn't see it. There'll right. be something that happen, happens inside of me that I know. Yeah. And you can break it down to like, my heart rate increased. Yeah. My blood pressure increased. I, I clenched my hands. I, I got this tightness in my chest. Right? Mm-hmm. That's how we're feeling the emotion. So if we just tap in and be like, yo... Here's what my body's doing right now. This and it's clear to me. I'm 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 angry, but I'm also like hurt. And if I can drop into that, I can get right to the core of the problem mm-hmm. and solve it more so much more quickly without all the other bullshit and all the other stories that we come up with and, and we run around in circles for a couple hours fighting about stuff. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Emotional intelligence, man. Somatic psychotherapy. Okay. Number 4, bucket list place to travel. There's a place in the world that you have been to that you'd recommend listeners add to their bucket list. Man. Go to Italy. Jesus. Okay. We're in Italy. I was there a long time ago. And I'm sure there's so many places in Italy to go to, but Florence was incredible. Rome was great. little touristy, but still awesome. Uh, my girlfriend was just recently in, in Venice, and she was just blown away. But uh, you know what? And I'm going to actually give this tip because she gave this to me. I wasn't there. She went. Lake Como. You know about it? Yeah? I tell everybody they're going to Italy. Uh, Adriana Domenico, episode number 41. Uh, she's going to um, Mont Blanc. Okay. Or Cormayor, which is the city in Italy, like the exact northwest corner of it, which is like really near to Mount Blanc, Mont Blanc, which has, you know, it borders with Switzerland and France and everything. And I was like, hey, on your way over, Stop in Como, mm-hmm. like that lake. Yes, it's really. When beautiful. were you there? I was there five years ago. Yeah, yeah, oh, man. I, I love that you know Lake Como. So Como is my middle name. So I have an Italian family, and Como is the name. Okay. Um. So little affiliation there. So my girlfriend, she goes to Lake Como. Uh, last year, she was there with mm-hmm. her sister, and she said they got like settled into the Airbnb, got all their package, all their luggage, set it all down. And then turned and looked to the lake because they're up on the hill. It's all hills, then the lake in the middle. And they turned around. She turned around, looked at the, looked at the the lake, and just stood there and cried. She said it was so beautiful. So beautiful. And she's like every direction I looked, whether it be at the buildings, whether it be at the street, whether it be at the the lake, the forest, anything, all of it was like a painting. It was so picturesque. That is that is a perfect explanation of it right there. Brilliant. Uh, fifty mile detour restaurant. Yeah. You're within fifty miles of this restaurant. <sighs> makes sense to detour off your intended path of travel just to eat here or another way oh you would go 50 miles out of your way just to eat here no i got you i got you all right it's a place called art and beer 
This place is in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's in the desert, all right? <sighs> wow. All right. I so, love it. Okay, so he, the story is I was with my ex. We were we went down to um, San Jose del Cabo, not Cabo San Lucas, mm. about half hour drive. Is San, it still in Baja, though? Mm-hmm. Okay. San Jose del Cabo in Baja. So we were there, and uh, we wanted to drive to a city called La Paz, which is on the other side of the peninsula, on the, uh, on the, on the, not on the ocean side, but on the bay side. Okay. So we're on that drive and we're heading down. And by the way, along the road, along that route, we come across Hotel California, the place that inspired the song. So we stop at that place and that was awesome. So along the route, we keep going. Eventually, we find we we drive past this place. It was on the other side of the road of the freeway. We drive past, and it's called Art and Beer. And underneath the set, uh, underneath it says Best Beer in the World. It says, and it's in, in the middle. I mean, you look on either side of the, the freeway. It's nothing but cactuses that are twelve feet tall. I mean, it's I mean, like it's ridiculous. But this thing is nestled right in the middle of all that, and we sort of laugh at it, like, oh, Best in the World beer. Oh, it's funny. On the way back, we end up stopping there because somebody in one of the hotels are like, if you go back to that, you have to go. I was like, really? Okay. We went back there and it was a magical experience. This guy, he, this guy and his wife, he was, uh, he's Mexican, grew up in Tijuana. He's an architect. And he, in like in retiring, he created this place. And every year he builds more onto it, but out of weird materials like using wine bottles and liquor bottles to create and using plaster around them to create these big sculptures in the garden, this like cactus garden. And there's this long walking path through the whole artistic garden that he built, raised up, because there's cactuses everywhere. So it's raised up over the cactuses, but there's a bunch of areas indoors where there's like jazz playing, there's his own art on the walls. And we're like, all right, I'm gonna get a Bloody Mary. And it's just him and his wife working there. And uh, so we get a Bloody Mary. This guy comes back with a Bloody Mary I've never seen anything like. It had like shrimp and it was like layered. And it was like, it was like unbelievable. He, He brought a... A sangria like I've never seen before. I mean, I mean, just so original and so built and so intentional. It was absolutely, absolutely floored us. Was there a, a hospitality aspect? So could people stay there the night? No, no, not at all. There was there's no no place to stay. But it was just um, there's lots of different like nooks where one could have at the table by candlelight with music playing and the, like the the Christmas lights kind of hanging all over the place. It was very charming. It's it's. You're passing through the space, and then suddenly you stop and have a magical experience, and then you just keep on to the rest of your life. It's crazy. I like it. Yeah. Number six, your number one skill. This is your number one honed craft. I mean, I got. I guess I have to say public speaking because it's what I teach. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep that one short because <laughs> I've been long-winded on all the other ones. No, you're good. All right. Last but certainly not least, number seven, your number one talent. And talent you're saying is innate? Correct. You didn't have to work at it. <laughs> I so I, I I'll try not to be long-winded about it, but I I I have I have an issue with the talent, the word talent. This isn't the first podcast where that exact statement's been made. Yeah, because no matter what skill, to me, it's all skill. Everything's skill. Mm-hmm. The idea of talent inherently tells people if you don't have it, you can't do it. And I think that's horseshit. Because so people who grow up and they're really good at music, it's probably because they've been honing that skill from a younger age. 
They had an environment, a rich environment where, let's say, like their natural piano player. Natural, what does that mean? Well, they grew up listening to lots of classical music because their parents are musicians. And the parents also play music. So they were exposed to that language well before anybody else. So, yeah, they're better at it. It doesn't mean they're talented. No, it just means that they have more developed skill. So my, my counter to that is that when we're talking about when you're first taught mathematics... In say first grade, I don't know second grade. Right, and then not you have everyone. A crazy... Not everyone is at zero. No, I get you. I get you. And and it goes beyond just if your parents have taught you math or something like that. I agree with you in the sense of if you say that this person naturally has a talent, it gives those people that don't want to work towards something an excuse, and you don't want to perpetuate that. True. I get True. that. Okay. All right. I'm saying in the sense of there is something I feel most people can naturally grasp faster than others. Now, that doesn't mean that the others can't surpass you in their ability. But starting out, I don't believe everybody starts at zero. I agree. Okay. So if the... the the reason I take issue with it is because I've been told I've been that I had a lot of talent for singing in my life. Mm-hmm. But that's only because I spent an inordinate amount of time singing in my bedroom as a kid, listening to so many albums like you know, like like listening to musicals, listening to like Boys to Men and like how did they get their voice to do that? Or uh, Michael Jackson and all these people. I was so into that and I would just sing to them all the time. I mean, I put in hundreds and hundreds of hours of just practice on my own. And then when I got into choir, people were like, oh, you're so talented. Okay, thanks. Like, that feels good. But thank you for recognizing that I've developed this thing. But it's it's not inborn. Like, I've been doing this a lot. What yeah. about your propensity to even want to do that? To want to do what? To want to sit there and sing to oh. these songs. You know what I'll say? I'll say as a talent, patience. It's a it's a weird answer, but patience because I love sitting and doing puzzles. I love taking a task that is going to be extremely tedious, but by the end of doing it, it's going to create something very artistic. Um, it doesn't take artistic skill, but it just takes time and and creating something out of that. Um, That's a trait of very successful people. Uh, yeah, true. I need other traits to go with that patience in order to be very <laughs> successful. I'm not there by any means. Last question. I'm sorry. It's not one of the seven questions. It's sure, building sure. off of what you were talking about with singing. Yeah. What's your karaoke song? Ooh, that's a good one. My go-to is usually like Billy Joel stuff. Okay. Billy Joel, Michael Jackson is great. He's tough though. He's tough. Yeah. Um, you got to be in the right mood for Michael Jackson. People like Ray Charles, John Legend. Like these guys are like right in my vocal range. Yeah. Is there one song? One song? You know what? There's one that I've been dying to do, and I haven't done it. It's the John Legend song. Uh, it's called "Slow Dance." Okay. If you haven't heard it, man, you gotta listen to it. It's so sex. It's so sensual, but not in like a sexual way. It's just sensual. Uh, it's just he's in the kitchen with his with his wife, and he's just like, "Girl, I don't want to fight anymore. I just want to dance. Let's just put on that dance music and let slow dance in the living room. That's what I want to do with you." And it's just, mm, it, it's, it's got that that feel that you just want to, you got to get up and dance to it while you listen to it. It's so good. I like that a lot. Yeah. You got any social media, website, anything you want to plug? Um, my website is speakfearlessly.com.
dot org. All right. Um, no, I, honestly, I don't do social media, man. I, I've tried, and I just my whole body rejects it. I, I can't force myself to care about something I don't. It's social media is that for me. You ever thought about hiring somebody to handle all that stuff for you? I would love to do. As my business grows, that's something I'm going to have to do. All right. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Freddie, I know this, this is, is cool. super last minute. I yeah. think this is the first time we ever had a guest come on to the podcast the day they arrived. No way. No, seriously. Because most of the time it happens at the tail end. Okay. And especially I'm on two nighters, it's always like a, a, a tough thing because they're about to leave out the next day and everything. That's so, right. But for you to come on and grab the drink and everything, I truly, truly, truly yeah. appreciate it, man. Dude, this is, uh, I got to do Airbnbs more often because it's you really get to meet more people. And that's why I love what you do. Like, this is such a cool gig. I, so I don't know if he, he talks about himself at all in, in this podcast. He, he talks, you know, other people get, I, I got the floor. But uh, what a cool thing to be able to get new people coming into your life all the time and really sitting with them and really getting to know them and giving them a platform to talk and connect. And that's a beautiful thing. So I, I love that you're doing it. This is what life is about, man. Yeah. You got, you got that on lockdown. That's good. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been another episode of Guestbook Podcast. If you want to shoot me an email, whether it's to come onto the podcast or to stay at the inn, it is innkeeper at unionindc.com. And we just started on Instagram. We're about four months in. We're approaching 100 followers. <laughs> You're killing it. Killing it. At unionindc, at guestbookpod, and my personal one, at innkeeperfred. That's two Ds with an I. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Oh, good. I can add this later in post. Del Golado, Del Goyado, El Pescadero, Baja California, Mexico. That sounds like it. Art and beer.